Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You most likely have a LinkedIn account, but are you active on it? Could you be missing out on the value and connections that LinkedIn provides? Or you could be using LinkedIn actively for your job, your career, or your business, and you're wondering... There's so many people using LinkedIn as an effective sales, marketing, and branding platform. Am I getting the most out of my LinkedIn strategies? In this episode, you will learn about the tools you can use on LinkedIn, including paid tools, and if they're worth paying for. There are different types of premium accounts. Which one is suitable for you? We also talk about content strategy, including the timing of your posts, and a 411 strategy, 411 strategy that you can use in posting content. Let's spruce up your LinkedIn profile. Hello, my name is Andrew and welcome to another Chill with TFC episode. In this series, we talk to interesting people with relevant experience and insights to help us learn from their perspectives so that we can create the life we love and manage our finances as well. Today, we're going to learn about LinkedIn marketing, LinkedIn selling and LinkedIn branding. My guest is known as the only CEO with a mohawk. So if you see him at events, you definitely won't miss him. He has 1,800 LinkedIn recommendations and more than 100,000 LinkedIn followers. In this podcast, we talk about personal branding, content strategy, and social selling. Let's welcome CEO and founder of Black Marketing, Chris J. Reed. I gotta ask, did you have the mohawk? before you took on the brand or did you no, think I didn't. the brand? No, I didn't. a great question. No, I didn't. And people often ask me that saying, because in the UK, I didn't need it. In the UK, I had spiky hair. Everyone knew who I was. 20 years entrepreneur there. When I came over here, nobody knew who I was. Mm. So what do you do? You have to stand out somehow. You know, every other Angmo looks the same, you know, kind of white guy with funny hair and you know, suits and shirts and the rest of it. So pretty soon I realized you had to kind of stand out, especially what I do in doing personal branding. So I had to, you know, have something that was interesting. So it's all about basically, you know, actually living the living the brand, but also practicing what you preach in that basically you have to basically say, well, this is what I use to catch attention, then a start a conversation. And it basically it captures everyone, CEOs of financial companies, CEOs of big companies, CEOs on planes all around the world. People go, wow, I love your mohawk. Oh, you're the LinkedIn guy. I saw you on LinkedIn. And then you start a conversation about LinkedIn. So it's not about the mohawk. It's about hiring a conversation about their personal branding because everyone's personal branding is different. And I, what I call it the metaphorical mohawk. Like you've got a metaphorical mohawk. The coconut brand is your metaphorical mohawk. So Andrew, Andrew's the guy who does that coconut brand. It's really, really cool. I learned so much from it. And then they know you for that. It does remind me of this, um, this guy. His name is, my name is Scott and he has a name tag on. Yeah. And he wears a name tag 24-7 and so much so that he even tattooed it after oh, that. Oh, really? Yeah, so that's kind of his brand. And, and so you, you picked Mohawk, right? I picked the Mohawk, Visually, yes. it's, it's stronger. It leaves a lasting impression. And also in Singapore, as you know, it's quite a conservative society. People don't normally go to DBS with a Mohawk because they'd be fired, you know. They're not even allowed a beard in the bloody DBS, you know, or tattoos and things like that. So if you stand out a bit, then people actually, I find Singaporeans very receptive, very open-minded to it. More so, interestingly, than Westerners. Westerners, I get more abuse from Westerners than I do from Singaporeans, oh. which is really interesting because if you talk to the odd Westerners, 
they go, oh, no, no, the other way around. It's like, no, that's not my experience at all. I found Singaporeans much more friendly and smiley. And, and even the security guard downstairs, we, ah, I love your mohawk. Oh, love your mask because he's got a mask like mine. He's got a joker mask downstairs. We had a conversation purely based on the fact I have this hairdo. And that's what you do with everybody, whether a security guard or an airport, if they're a CEO of a multinational corporation. It's an it's, it's a, it's a icebreaker. Mm. It's the way to start a conversation. Then you see how it goes. Because, I mean, that's the hardest thing to do, as you know, Andrew, is basically how do you start a conversation? You can't just go up to somebody and go, well, I like you. You're very nice. You go, oh, you're a bloody weirdo. You are. And then you go, you've got, if someone says, I like your hairdo, or I like the way you dress, or I like the way you, your shoes are, or whatever, you start a conversation. Mm. And you're starting with someone which is personal to their personal brand, and then you can have a conversation. Well, what else do you do? What do you want to do? do you, are you introverted? Are you extroverted? Do you want to get a new job? Are you starting a new venture? And then it continues from there. And then that's you know, several hours later, they may become a client, or at least they know what you do, and then they can recommend you to somebody else. It opens doors for you. Correct. So Singaporeans are generally more receptive. I found they that. They talk yeah. to you about generally, it. Generally, I found that. I found them so. Because I don't know whether it's because it's relatively unique here. Mm. So therefore, it's quite unusual. And people Definitely go, unique. Especially when I used to work in the Raffles Place and the CBD and that kind of thing. I used to go up, you know, places like DBS and that kind of thing. And, you know, OCBC and all those banks and financial people and management consultants, they wouldn't have anyone like me going in kind of thing. And then it would stand out. So around there, definitely. But everywhere, I found them you know, very much more kind of friendly, open-minded. They don't see it as a negative or a threat, which they would do in the West. People wear a mohawk in, say, London or America, for example. They say, oh, you're a threat. You're a threat to society. You're a threat. It's like, well, no, I just dress differently to you. That's not a threat. It's just being different. It's the same with the tattoos. If you do a post on LinkedIn about tattoos, you get so much abuse from people going, oh, you shouldn't wear a tattoo. It's not professional to wear a tattoo. I go, why? Does it stop me doing my job? No, of course it doesn't stop me doing my job. It's a ridiculous, it's a ridiculous thing to say. But you get so many people going, I've been abused or I've been disenfranchised because I have tattoos. And you have to support people like that because only by sharing and giving them strength are they then able to be themselves. But I know so many people even here who have tattoos, but they've got shirts on when they go to work because they work and they work for multinationals and conservatives. I mean, they're not entrepreneurs, so I can do it. And if they don't like me, I don't care because it's, it's my brand. But I can understand if you're working for a big multinational, you basically don't want to piss off the boss and you're, annoyed, you're not going to get that promotion. You know, oh, he's got a tattoo, you don't do that. But it's kind of like you're also not being true to yourself because if that's how you really want to project yourself because you got it done, then really you should not have that job. Just get another job because you know, you're, you're really kind of lying to yourself and ultimately that's not a great way to live. So you're listening to this podcast and I want to help you visualize Chris has a mohawk that's about 10 centimeters high. <laughs> like, have you measured it? At least. <laughs> and, it, and it's blue. It's dyed blue. It's just, dyed blue just the, the part moment, yes. that's, the, the mohawk, the part that's standing up is blue. Right? And, it's, and it's, it's very striking. Right? And, and do you have to put on a suit and tie or a shirt when you're no. walking around Raffles Place? No, no. no. Well, I don't wear Raffles Place now. I mostly yeah. meet my clients in Sentoso or elsewhere. And you're lucky I'm wearing a shirt. I'm wearing a t-shirt today. Normally I wear a cutoff. <laughs> okay, so it's, more, it's even more casual than more what casual. we're seeing right now, right? Because yeah, he's in a t-shirt, very comfortable, Starbucks cup on the hand. And we're just going to have a very good conversation yep. about how you can brand yourself and how you can stand out on LinkedIn. Yep. Now, the question is, do I need to have a mohawk? <laughs> no, you don't. Please don't have a mohawk because if you have a mohawk, then I'm not the only CEO with a mohawk, am I? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the whole point. You have to pick your own thing. And obviously what you do here, basically, and what you do on Money FM and what you do in the, you know, the podcast and so forth, that's helping other people. So that's your point of difference. That's kind of you standing out. But everybody needs to have their point of difference. What makes them stand out? What makes them think, oh, he's the guy for this or she's the girl for this? Because whether you want a promotion in a job or whether you want to get noticed by somebody else or you want to move to a different country or start your own business or get invested, or attract employees, you need to stand out. 
You know, the best examples are people like Branson, who's just you know, gone to the moon, and, you know, Elon Musk, who wants to go to the moon, or Mars, and, you know, Bessos, who's basically also going to the moon. You basically, all these guys stand out for various different ways in the way they've approached their brands, their personal brands, as well as their company brands. And that's the key thing. People buy into them, then buy into their companies. So that's why we believe on LinkedIn, you should be focusing on your personal profile, not your company profile. Because nobody goes to coffee with a company. Nobody goes to a drink with a company, but they do with a person. And that's the whole idea of humanizing people because people are much more likely to do things with people they feel humanized with and empathy with than people they're just kind of, you know, up in a ice tower, glass tower somewhere and you can't touch them because they're not on social media. You don't know anything about them. And you go, oh, what's he really like? And, oh, I don't know about him at all. Then how can you empathize with someone you don't know about? That's why Branson's brand comes across or Bill Gates is on LinkedIn or Michael Dell's or, you know, Piyush Gupta here in um, Singapore, for example. But not enough Singaporean CEOs are on LinkedIn. Hardly any of them, in fact. Uh, it's mostly expat uh, CEOs. CEOs who are on LinkedIn and more entrepreneurs who are on LinkedIn. A lot of Chinese entrepreneurs do not want to, sorry, CEOs do not want to be the face of their company in Singapore. It's a very much a cultural thing here. It's, no, 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 I don't want to be the face. Uh, it's the team efforts, companies, the brand. But that doesn't really work when you really want to inspire your employees because they're not being inspired by the company. Who gets inspired by OCBC? Nobody. Uh, you know, but they might be inspired by the CEO of OCBC, for example, because he's doing something dynamic and interesting. Like P.S. Gupta does a fantastic job, I think, at DBS, branding in in a certain way and delivering in a certain way and empathizing with employees and getting engaged. And he's got 150,000 followers on LinkedIn and he posts on a regular basis. And you can engage with him because, oh, this is his personality. And I know partly he does it himself and partly his team does it. So you know, basically, he can do it. A bit like PM Lee's on LinkedIn now. And so, you know, the various other uh, Singaporean politicians, finally, they realize the power, plus it's free, they realize the power of getting out there to professional class and actually getting their point across. Patam Singh is not on yet, but he needs to get on before the next election. I mean, I, I think it's part of an entire ecosystem, LinkedIn, Instagram, yeah. Facebook, what have you. Yeah. So based on your sharing, I do have another direction in mind, but I want to dig a little deeper on the, do I need to have a Mohawk part? <laughs> because I, I just did a podcast interview recently and the guest identifies as an introvert. Actually, I yeah. identify, identify as an introvert as well. Yeah. So which is why, okay, I understand you need something to stand out, but yeah. does it work for me? Like, you know, what yes. if I'm an introvert? So what would you say half, to that? Half our, that's a great question because half our clients are introverts and half of them come to us going, I'm not comfortable doing no, not this. I'm thing. not really comfortable. I'm not really doing this. But we say in LinkedIn, it's professional context. So it's not friends and family stuff. You're not sharing anything that's personal, personal. What you're sharing is something that other people can be empathizing with. Um, and you're sharing content that's relevant to them, they can learn from, and actually warms you up, warms your company up, and they can get to know you. And it's up to you what, how you set that limit. Some people are really personal. I'm pretty personal on LinkedIn. Um, you know, other people are, you know, I'm going to talk about business. Some people do a mixture of business and personal. But it's the personal posts that get the most engagement, Andrew. You know, they're the ones that basically get the most views, the most likes, the most comments, the most engagement. So basically, it's up to you. If you want a lot of engagement on LinkedIn, you have to do personal posts. If you just do company posts all the time, you get no engagement. Because although it's a professional network, people are still people. And it's like if you went to, the, you went to a pub or a coffee shop or a coffee with somebody, and all they did is talk about their business... You'd be going, I'm never going to go to a coffee shop with him again. I'm never going to go to a drink with him again because he's boring. But you spend 10% talking about the business, then you move on and you talk about football or music or the family or why you're in Singapore or what you're going to do next or your next venture or, you know, you're basically, you know, that's how you really get to know people. So two hours, you might spend 20 minutes in the business, then move on. LinkedIn's the same. So LinkedIn, you have to spice it up. And that's all we're saying. is that, And obviously, you have to do it within the realms of how you feel comfortable. 
It's all about that. Because I noticed you don't post at all, which is, I understand completely, that's 90% of people on LinkedIn don't post at all. Only 1% that post on a regular basis, 9% of people like and comment and share, but everybody else just views because they're a bit worried about, well, it's a business network, my boss might see it, my employees, my clients, my investors, my future. And they're a bit worried about it. But ironically, I bet you post on Facebook and Instagram and other places. A lot of people are comfortable doing that. They don't seem to realize that Google picks up both of these things. It just trusts LinkedIn. So it promotes LinkedIn's content first. If you do a search, for example, your LinkedIn comes up above your Instagram, your Facebook, or the rest of it, because LinkedIn is trusted by Google, whereas Facebook and Instagram is not. And that's where you want to put your content in a place which is trusted, not a place which is not, not trusted, because basically nobody trusts Facebook content. You post it, you go, that's not true. And basically, nine times out of 10, it's probably not true. Whereas LinkedIn, there's lots of fact-checking going on. Lots of professionals there will actually call people out and report it if it's not true. Lantabes, you know, at the moment, for example, all the anti-vaxxers are being, you know, cordoned off because, you know, basically it's not how they want to present themselves in a kind of responsible way. Whereas they're let loose on Facebook at the moment, you know, they're taking over the place. And that's the difference between the two. It's like, that's a trusted platform and the other platforms are basically not trusted for business advice or professional advice or just real advice from real people. So while the Mohawk opens doors, what you're saying is that it's about the people-to-people, human-to-human connection. Right. Right. And let's talk about tactics. Yeah. So what can I do on LinkedIn to stand out? What are the different tools on LinkedIn right now? I mean, number one tool is basically you've got to get a nice banner picture, for example. You've got to get a nice photograph. Uh, and that's the first thing because that's the first impression. It's like if you go to a networking event, what happens? You, your first impression is you meet someone like this face-to-face and you go, okay, I get, I get on with him. I can see here what he's doing. Or if they're frosty, if they've got their arms folded and they're standing in the corner, oh, I'm not going to approach that guy. <laughs> well, and that's what LinkedIn's about. You've got to have a nice banner which basically has you in it, I ideally with your brand positioning statement, you've got to have a picture of yourself. Uh, and then you've got to have a nice about section. The about section is telling people about you. What's your story? Not just about what your job is. What's your story? What do you do? What do you like? What don't you like? What do you achieve in your career so far? What are you doing now? And then number one way of standing out is actually content. So it's content, 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 content. Most of my team and I, most of the work we put in is content, producing content, creating content, writing content for our clients, making it sound like them, doing photographs, doing this podcast. I did a podcast this morning, for example, uh, in Australia. I've got one tomorrow morning, for example. I've got a talk on Zoom on Wednesday, for example. All this is content, 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 because I will take it and use it. They will take it and use it. So you're creating content all the time and standing out. Plus, something like this is original content. This podcast is original. My interview with you will be different to the interview I give tomorrow and the gave this morning and give on Wednesday. So their base of the content is completely unique and authentic. And that's what people really re- resonate with on LinkedIn. You know, local issues, local content, but something that means something to them and their daily activities and their daily work. So let's talk about specific case studies you have, like your clients or people that have worked with. Maybe it's a financial planner or a business owner. Like, yep. Do you have an example in mind that you could share with us? How do you take that person from the start, you know, what, what are the goals and how do you take them through the process? So financial planner, that's a good example. We work for quite a lot of people in the financial space, normally CEOs of companies, for example, or they could be you know, uh, financial planners, for example, where people are buying into them as a brand. But even if they run a financial company, for example, it's cryptocurrency or a fintech company, for example, people are still buying into them as a brand. So you have to put your status up there, first of all, and design it in such a way that basically as soon as somebody comes to the profile, they go, oh, he's the fintech guy, or he's the guy that basically works with banks to help people do that, or He's the guy that does e-commerce for small businesses in Asia Pacific. The banner has to say that, the content, the headline, uh, the company description, all this has to be filled in. So that's the first step we do for everybody. We do an audit of their profile and nine times out of 10, their profile is incomplete, massively incomplete. Normally it's 10%, 15% if you're lucky. 
and we fill it all in. The banner, the headline, the about, the experience, the recommendations, the awards, even boosting their connections to a level where it's actually reasonable if they bothered posting something that actually someone would see it. Because we've got less than 500 connections, no one's going to bloody say it, no one's going to comment, no one's going to like it. Because LinkedIn doesn't serve your content to all 500 connections, that only serves about 7%. So basically you need that 7% to be looking at the prior time you're posting, otherwise basically no one's seeing your content. So that's why you need to have a lot of followers, a lot of connections, and you need to be posting good content. And content is absolutely key. And then you start building your connections out with people who engage with your content and people who engage with your profile because they're live and active on LinkedIn. The problem with LinkedIn is only half the users that LinkedIn say they have actually active. So it's not the same as Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, where they give active user numbers. LinkedIn does not because it's owned by Microsoft. It doesn't have to. So it gives very vague numbers. You know, it says things like, we've increased engagement this month to record amounts. And you go, well, what does that mean? You go one to two? I mean, what does that mean? I mean, like, that's a record amount, 100%. But what does that actually mean? And basically, we know from the data we have for our clients, because they're all around the world, what the real figures are. And we can find active people, and we can find people who are interested and engaged, but a lot of it's through content, because people are stimulated by content, they look at your profile because they're inspired by your content, or even polarized by your content. Some of them look at your profile because they don't like your content, going, who's this guy writing this rubbish on this LinkedIn blog? And then at least you can start a conversation if it's, you know, if it's the same person. Um, so that's why content's a valuable tool in trying to find out who's actually active on LinkedIn, and then you filter them down. So the financial services people, for example, you could then reach out to somebody, oh, he's, he fits my client, he mirrors my current client base, he mirrors my client base, oh, I want to get into that bank if he runs a, a fintech company, or oh, that's the financial institution I want to get into, into Zurich or London or Zurich, for example. And that's all about kind of using content to stimulate someone that might be inspired enough to contact you. And that's the holy grail, is that basically people read that and go, wow, I need your service. And that obviously is the key to what we do in terms of social selling. You share content, you improve your personal brand, you get people to come to you because that's the easy way of doing it. Then you're not basically reaching out to anybody at all. And that's what we try and aspire to for everybody. We don't try and basically hard sell people. We basically only connect and engage with people who engage with our content or engage with our profiles. So hence, you need to optimize your profiles. You need keywords in your profiles to be found. So if you do, for example, if you put Mohawk into LinkedIn, I come number one, number two, number three, number four, number five, number six. Works. Because sometimes people can't remember my name. And they go, oh, he's the Mohawk guy. Just put Mohawk into LinkedIn, it comes up. Sometimes I use the hashtag Sentosa because that's where I live now. And sure enough, the top 20 posts that come up, we put, hashtag, we put Sentosa in in my posts because I've used hashtag Sentosa because nobody else is using it. They're using hashtag Singapore. And there's many more people using hashtag Singapore than hashtag Sentosa. So it's all about finding little hashtags and finding little tricks, for example, that make you stand out. Another one is recommendations, particularly in financial services. Absolutely key. Nothing greater than basically getting one of our clients who does financial services get recommended by clients because that's gold. Because a lot of people do, don't want to say they work for financial planner or financial advice or anything like that. They want to be seen to be independent. But everyone needs a bit of help. So if you basically go and say, oh, fantastic. Andrew was amazing at financial planning. He basically inspired me. He increased my stocks and shares. Now you know, I own this house in Barbados or whatever it is, purely because of the work he did. That's gold. Because then you can use that recommendation in content. And then you can use that recommendation on your website, on your email, on your Facebook, and your or business card, or whatever else you want to use it for. Because that's then somebody on LinkedIn who's not anonymous, who someone can click through to, so I can say, okay, you know, Bob said, hey, Andrew's a fantastic guy. He gave me some great advice. I can click through to Bob's profile and say, what was Andrew really like? And Bob goes, Andrew was fantastic. You know, my portfolio now is absolutely amazing. He's done a really, really good job in doing that. And then I go, well, Andrew's been recommended by someone I know quite well. That means something to me. That's more powerful than you, you saying to me, you're fantastic, because it's somebody else saying you're fantastic.
So we spend a lot of time recommendations for our clients when we can. So how do you get them to get more testimonials or recommendations? Like you actively ask for it? Ask. Hmm. I mean, literally, it's as simple as that. Ask and you shall receive. Right. Like the amount of people we come across who tell me, oh, yeah, I've got a fantastic reputation. Look at their profile. I go, but you've got any recommendations. Hey, I haven't asked anybody. Oh. Well, it's like if you haven't asked anybody, then what do you expect? How does anyone else know you've got recommendations if you haven't asked anybody? How does anyone know you're doing a good job if you haven't actually asked anybody? So we're quite you know, uh, proactive and reasonably aggressive in actually asking for recommendations. It's one of the reasons I have 1,850 recommendations is because about five or six years ago, I did a deliberate strategy of asking people for recommendations. And not just from where I work now, but from my previous job, my previous job, my previous job. So I spent kind of 10 years building up these recommendations, but we do it for our clients. We ask them for a list of warm contacts who basically would recommend them, who dealt with them in the past. They could be people who they worked for. They could be clients, investors, peers, friends, partners, but they need to put something in writing. And then we basically follow that up and we basically say to them, will you recommend? And of course, most people don't. So you therefore need a list of say 100 to get 30 people to recommend you. That's why you need a thousand connections to start off with. You say, okay, a thousand connections, probably a hundred people will recommend me. Probably about 30 or 40 people will actually then actually go through and recommend it because most people just say they will do it and actually won't do it. It's about fulfilling the basics, fill up your about page. Correct. And in fact, LinkedIn helps you along because it will tell you that, okay, 60% of the profile is complete. You need to do another 40% more by Correct. doing this, all these details. So let's talk about on top of that, what else can you do? Maybe you can start from content strategy. Yeah. I can keep posting. But if it doesn't get engagement, <laughs> LinkedIn doesn't push. I mean, it's like an algorithm, right? Yeah. You have to work with. Correct. How do I make my content engaging? So basically, we follow a 411 strategy. So 411 is a proven strategy across all social media, particularly works well on LinkedIn, which is one hard sell post. So if I talk about black marketing, that's a hard sell post. I do one of those. And then one soft sell post, which is about your industry. So if I talk about social media, if I talk about content marketing, that's a soft sell post, not directly marketing, black marketing, but letting people know I'm a thought leader and expert in social media. But then to get permission to do these two posts, I do four unrelated personal posts because that gives permission. They will also get the most amount of engagement, the most amount of traction, and they, but they'll give me permission to actually do the hard sell post. So without the four personal posts, you have no permission whatsoever to then do the hard sell post because if you just do hard sells posts all the time, people will unfollow you. People will hide your feed and you won't even know they did it. I met, met someone the other day, for example, he had 30,000 followers. And I looked at his content and it was like, company, 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 company. Number of likes, zero. Number of likes, zero. Number of comments, zero. I mean, literally, no engagement. Because people obviously had unfollowed him. They'd hidden his feed. Still connected because they wanted his connections. But they had no intention of engaging because they did no personal posts. So you have to do some personal posts. Now, a personal post can be me reading The Straits Times or Channel News Asia, taking a little article and then sharing it on LinkedIn and putting an opinion piece. That's very popular. Lots of people on LinkedIn do that. Stephanie Yoon do that. You know, Davides does that very, very well. And that will get enormous amounts of engagement because you and I can both relate to a story in Singapore about Singapore. We have an opinion on that. We have a thought on that. We know something about it. And the next thing we'll do is take an industry which people relate to. So HR or marketing or jobs or at the moment, kind of should you be at home or working in an office during the pandemic, for example? That's very topical. That's completely split. Half people think you should be in an office. Half people should be thinking you should work for anybody anywhere you want. So it's relatable. You've got to take relatable subjects, for example. I mean, you can do uh, obscure ones. If I talk about my football team, which is Newcastle United, I will get minimal amount of engagement because nobody in Singapore cares about my, Singapore, it's like Newcastle United. They care about Man United, Liverpool, and you know all the rest of it. They don't care about Newcastle. But I have about 25 followers in Singapore who are Newcastle fans, half Singaporean, half expats, who we have a little banter with. 
So basically, it's like a little banter for them. But I don't expect to get 10,000 views on that one because nobody else cares. And that's the same thing if you basically do a very uh, niche post, you have to basically be prepared and not get much engagement. So you have to balance it up. And ultimately, it's about the data. We analyze the post through data. We look at all the posts we do and go, okay, those ones work, those ones one. That didn't, that's interesting. That one didn't also, oh, that's interesting. Don't do that again, don't do that again, do more of these. And that's where we come up to the conclusions that things like local content works, personal content works, content with photographs and uh, videos of the client in works. I mean, literally, we've done A-B testing. The same post, one with a picture, one without a picture. The one with a picture will get 10 times the views, 20,000, 30,000, sometimes 100,000 views, just because it's got a picture. Because ultimately, it's what I call the Richard Branson effect. Ultimately, you follow Richard Branson because he's Richard Branson. You know, whether you like him or not, you know, you admire or not, don't admire him, thinks he's a tax cheat or whatever you think of him, based you admire, you based you follow him because he's interesting. But he needs a picture on his um, on his LinkedIn profile, so all his posts have pictures of him. Like this morning, when the, the space thing, for example, did about 100 posts this morning on LinkedIn, all got like millions of views, but they all had pictures of him in the spacecraft, a picture of him doing this, a picture of him launching, and a picture of him with Elon Musk, and a picture of... I mean, literally, you know, I mean, he got it down to a T, but he was doing it before the internet was existing. He did it in newspapers back in the 70s when he launched Virgin. Very clever. All he's done is continue it into the, uh, into the digital age. But that's why people, you know, photographs of you, people trust photographs of you, people like photographs of you because they're following you ultimately. So it is the Richard Branson scenario of you need to be posting more about you and then having a point, having a story, and then people will engage with you. Simple as that. I've got this book written by Chris called How to Become a LinkedIn Rockstar. So under the 411 strategy, yeah. is this under person? Okay, uh, your most recent LinkedIn post that I saw, like you, you're taking a photo, beer in your hand, <laughs> holding this book with another you know, colleague or associate. Yeah. Is that under a personal post or a soft that's a, sell? That's a personal post because that's basically a post to me with somebody else, probably another entrepreneur. Um, I met several entrepreneurs the weekend, for example. I take a picture of them and put it on LinkedIn. I highlight what they do. So I celebrate their companies. I want to highlight them so that they get something out of it. And it's not selling my services at all. It's merely saying I'm, I'm meeting people at the Wubar in Sentosa, going along for a drink, telling an interesting story. Maybe I'll become a client. Maybe they will but maybe they will go and tell somebody else because they've read the book or they've seen the picture or some of their followers will see that and go, oh, that's what that's the Chris Reed guy. That's the Mohawk guy. What does he do? Oh, he does the LinkedIn stuff. Oh, yeah, I need some LinkedIn help. Oh, you met so-and-so. Oh, that's interesting. I'll have a word with so-and-so and then I'll see if you know Chris is, you know, stands up, for example, and he liked me and he thought what I said was sensible and all the rest of it. And then basically you might get a client out of it. And it's a soft sell. You might not get a client straight away. It might be three months, six months, 12 months. But it's basically you know, drip, drip, drip effect of that's the, that's the Mohawk guy. He's just LinkedIn. Oh, he got that book out, hasn't he? And we, we won so much clients based on the book. You know, I don't use the book to make money directly. I use the book as a business card. So I don't use a business card. I use my book. Because when do you last throw away a book? Because you, who don't. uses business cards Precisely. nowadays, right? Precisely. But also I want to give value. So when I meet mm. somebody at the Rhubarb, for example, in Centos or anywhere else, I'll give them the book for basically thanks, thanks very much for your time. I appreciate it. Now, this book's like $35 on Amazon. I'm giving it for free. Or you can listen to it on Spotify or Apple Music or whatever. But there's lots of tips here you can go and do yourself. So because we tend to talk about their LinkedIn profile to start off with, then we talk about the entrepreneurial journey. Then we tend to talk about why you're in Singapore and you move away from it. But that gives enormous value because you can go and take that book and you can go and basically read it and do all the things yourself. And you know, if you don't have the money to employ our services, that's what 99% of people do. You know, so basically they can go and do it. And that gives true value because then people go, wow, I got this book. It was amazing because I follow the tips and I want a client because of what Chris told me to do on LinkedIn. But 1% will actually become clients. And obviously we work on the basis that those people are too busy to do it themselves and therefore they have the time. And so they don't have the time. They have the money, though, to basically outsource it to someone like ourselves. 
just like you outsource any part of marketing, whether it's SEO or you know, indeed podcasts or videos or uh, creative or whatever it happens to be, or you know, financial planning, you tend to outsource it, especially if you don't have the time to do it yourself. And that's who our target market is, really entrepreneurs and CEOs, you know, very time poor, but they know they're self-aware enough to know they know they need to be on LinkedIn. They need to be posting every single day. They do not have time to do it themselves. You've looked at the analytics of your clients. Yes. You already shared a bit. Can you tell us a bit more about like maybe what time should I post? What kind of content are the most engaging based on data? So that's, that's a great, great question. That's good. Basically, the time of day is, I found, in normally the morning. The morning works extremely well because people tend to get to work on the way to work. For example, they're flicking through their LinkedIn feed. And so you have to be hitting them in the morning. But the other thing I've also found is it doesn't matter as long as your content goes viral. So I've got a post like for, for like two weeks ago, which is still going viral at the moment. It's got like 100,000 views. People are still liking it because people don't look at LinkedIn the same way they look at Facebook or Twitter or Instagram. Or they're, they're looking at basically once a week or once a fortnight. So the post I shared two weeks ago is now just coming up on this guy's feed. For example, now he's seeing it. Now he's liking it or commenting it. And that post has gone. So that doesn't matter what time I posted it, but it matters in terms of how it got kicked off. It went viral because it went viral in the first hour. If it doesn't go viral in the first hour or the first couple of hours, it's a big it's a big slog to actually get it going. You can sometimes manipulate it by getting other people to comment and then it will go viral, for example. But ultimately, it lives and dies on the strength of the content. The other thing I've noticed is that Saturdays and Sundays work extremely well. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. So my biggest posts are Saturdays and Sundays because people at multinationals do not work on a Saturday and Sunday. They also don't tend to post on Saturday and Sunday because they think, well, this is work. I only get paid to do Monday to Friday by this bank or business management consultant company or this firm over here. And therefore, entrepreneurs, for example, like myself, can actually post, get more engagement as a result of it. But it has to be Saturday and Sunday. What we found is, and Friday, it has to be a lifestyle post. You can't be doing a hard, you know, you need to be on LinkedIn now. You know, the people go, no, oh, give me a break. It's Saturday. You know, you need to be doing a lifestyle post. So I've noticed things like you know, if I do a post about, as you say, having a networking, basically, or if I do a post about the sunrise in Sentosa, for God's sake, or if I do a post about, you know, sport or music um, and then then relate it in some way, maybe to work, maybe not, basically, and then do more of a lifestyle post, it will get engagement because people are going, oh, that's interesting. I like that. I'll share that. Oh, yeah, I'll comment on that. And then it might go viral over the whole weekend, for example, but it'll die off on kind of Monday when people go back to work. So you need to change the strategy again and do a work post. And that's why my first two posts this morning were, for example, were two local posts. And then I went into more of a generic post in terms of a European post because I know the time zone wise, you have to look at a time zone. I'm targeting Singaporean clients, Asian clients. So you have to be posting seven, eight, nine o'clock in the morning. But then I'm targeting Europe. So you have to be doing three, four, five o'clock in the afternoon. But I'm also targeting New York and Florida and um, San Francisco. And that is eight, nine, ten at night. Therefore, you need a different strategy for different times of the day. So basically, you need to be thinking about who your time zone is. That's why people say, well, you post quite a lot you know, five times a day. But it's because I'm targeting five different time zones. So basically, if you do that, and also if I target Australia and New Zealand, it would be three hours beforehand, for example, which also ironically gets Europe um, or it's better when they're eight hours and seven hours. It's worse now because they're seven hours and six hours. 
behind, but once they're basically eight hours, basically they're still up at nine o'clock at night. When if you post at five o'clock in the uh, morning, you get Australia, New Zealand. Um, because they're waking up. But you also get Europe because they're still checking their LinkedIn. And you often get America as well. So you have these very strange conversations where people are about to go bed on one side of the world and people are getting up on the other side of the world but having the same conversation or sharing on LinkedIn. So the timing is really about the market. If you're only targeting Singapore, do it in the morning. If you're only targeting, you know, if you're targeting Australia, New Zealand, you know, do it very early in the morning. If you're targeting Asia Pacific, you need to be a bit more broad. Targeting Europe needs to be in the afternoon, three o'clock, four o'clock, five o'clock in the afternoon. When people say know your audience, people are thinking about what interests them, but you're thinking about the time zone as yes, well. What time correct. are they waking up? What time are they consuming the content? Because right. if I do a Singapore post, for example, at you know, 10 o'clock at night, what's the point? Nobody in Singapore is going to be looking at that post and all the Europeans are going, oh, where is the Singapore place? And you know, they just won't get it at all. And conversely, if I do European posts, for example, in the morning here, when no European is actually open, no, at work, Singaporeans are going, what's Chris talking about? You know, this European thing doesn't make any sense. You know, so you have to be looking at, you know, the localization of the post itself, the relevancy, the personalization of it, and then basically how applicable it is to the target market who's going to be on LinkedIn at the time you're posting. And that's what a lot of people misunderstand. They're just going to put some content out there and hope for the best. It's like, we can't do that. You have to look at the data. The data's all there. I mean, you can decide when you post and look at the data and say, did that work? No, it didn't work. Well, don't do it again then. You know, literally, it's not rocket science and it's free. I mean, the testing on LinkedIn is completely free. Just put some content out there. Do it across seven days, see what works, see what doesn't work, and then repeat the stuff that did work and just enhance it and enhance it and take it different strands. And that's what, I mean, it's all, you've got to be data related. I mean, you know that from, you know, you can see which podcast got the most views. You can see basically, you know, hopefully when the videos take off, which videos get the most views, and then you'll know which subject matter your followers like the most. And then you'll get more people who talk about the subject matter we like the most and less people who talk about the ones who didn't like the most. All right, we are very focused on the listen through rates. Like at which point did the listener drop out? Yeah. And of course, downloads. Yeah, so these are the statistics that we look at. Yeah. So beyond filling out your basic information on LinkedIn, what are some advanced tools? We could go into the area of paid tools and yeah. if they are even effective in the first place. Should you be paying for LinkedIn paid tools? So the only one we recommend is Sales Navigator Team. So we don't recommend advertising at all because we know from our data that doesn't work. And we know from other people's data, it doesn't work. We've had clients come to us with advertised their, their content and actually found organic posts actually work better and paid for posts because people on LinkedIn are quite sophisticated. As soon as you see a paid for promoted post, they go, oh, that must be crap. Uh. Yeah, precisely. If they need to pay for it, it must be crap. And we've actually outdone with our personal posts, we've outdone company posts which have been paid for because nobody wants to engage with a company post. You know, you get employees going like, 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 and but nobody comments, nobody outside that company comments. Whereas a personal post from the CEO, they do because they relate to him. They're, oh, I know him. He's a cool guy. Oh, he's got a good point there. Oh, yeah, that's a really... And because it's using his, his face, it works. So we don't do advertising. We do recommend Sales Navigator Team. So Sales Navigator Team is the, one of the premiums. LinkedIn's very confusing. It has five premiums. Premium Basic, which you should never get because the functionality is not very good. It has Recruiter Lite, Recruiter, Sales Navigator Pro, and Sales Navigator Team. Now, Team is called Team, um, and we don't know why it's called Team because you can use it as one person. So it's misnamed straight away. People say, but don't you need to be a team to get Sales Navigator Team? It's like, no. You need to get to be a team to get Sales Navigator Enterprise, but that's when you have more than like 100 licenses. So we recommend all our clients Sales Navigator Team. It's what I use. It's what our clients use, our CEOs, our founders, for example, use Sales Navigator Team because it gives you functionality that the basic premium does not, and it's the same price. So basically, it gives you the ability to do searches based on things like size of company, who the CEO is, for example, how many years on LinkedIn, languages, lots and lots of filters. 
that is not available on the basic premium. You can also do saved searches, on which you can do on Sales Navigator Team, but you cannot do that on the basic premium. So people can do a search on premium, but they can't actually save that search. But you can on Sales Navigator Team. And then the other thing on Sales Navigator Team, which is key, is you can see who's actually active. It tells you who's posted in the last 30 days, who's changed jobs in the last 90 days. Now that's key because as we talked about before, half people on LinkedIn are not on LinkedIn, they're ghosts. So you could be sending them a message going, hey, you should be doing business with me. And that person is never gonna see it. But if they post the last 30 days, if they're premium, i.e. they're paying for one of the premiums, and if they're what's called an open profile, which again, you can only tell on Sales Navigator. So open profiles with a little green banner on their profile on Sales Navigator, which you cannot see on the main premium and on the main LinkedIn, you can send someone a message for free. Now, why that's important, Andrew, is because that person wants you to, because you can switch it off. That person is active. Correct. No, but also because they, they basically said, open profile, I want someone to contact me, but they can switch it off. And half the people who have premium switch it off do not contact those people because they've said, basically, do not contact me. And you can disable all communications if you really want to, although I'm not sure, not sure the point of it because you're on a social media network. But for example, I'm open profile because I want everyone to be able to contact me. The last thing I want is for someone to be able to go, well, I want to contact Chris, but I'm going to have to spend an in-mail to do it and I have to pay for my in-mail. Why should I pay to contact Chris? You shouldn't. So anyone who has an open profile wants to be contacted. And that's absolutely key. If you're not first connection, you cannot contact someone unless you use an in-mail. And you only get 30 in-mails on Sales Navigator Team, 20 on Pro, 30 on uh, Basic Premium. Um, but you want to use it with somebody who actually wants to be contacted. I, someone who's engaged with your content or viewed your profile or showed some kind of interest. But the best thing is to use none of the in-mails, just use open profiles or first connection messages to people who basically want to be contacted. And that's absolutely key because it's a bit like having a conversation in a bar again or a coffee shop. Go up to somebody and say, hey, how are you doing? If they basically go, don't want to talk to you. Like closed body Precisely. language. You don't want to talk to Okay. Whereas if they're kind of open, yeah, hey, hey, come over here, have a drink. Yeah, no, join in, come on. You know, that's the kind of person you want to talk to because then you have a chance to talk about what you do, talk about what they do, listen to what they say, listen to what they do. Can you help them? Can they help you? And then let's go forward. So LinkedIn is a bit like that in that you want to be socializing and engaging people who want to be socialized and engaged with, not the anti-socializers. So sales navigator team. 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 And it's important, team not pro, because pro doesn't have the same functionality. I know it's really confusing. And team also has smart links. So get really technical here. Smart links. For example, if I send you a message, I'll always include a smart link. And a smart link is on sales navigator team. It's my services. So if you request my services from me, I'll say, hey, no problem at all. Here's my services. I can tell if you looked at it. So I can tell if you were just bullshitting or whether you're actually genuinely interested or whether you're just saying it because you basically want to save face or you just basically want to be nice, which is completely fine. And that's what it sorts out. So I don't follow up with people who do not look at it. It's like when they used to track email click-through rates or open rates, Correct. right? Okay, Correct. like a little pixel, but in this Correct. case, it's a smart In this thing. case, it's basically an email from LinkedIn saying, Andrew has looked at your services and I can see how many times, I can see how many minutes, and I can see if you shared it in your organization, which is also key. If you're the CEO and you shared it with the CMO and the COO and the co-founder, I know you're interested. If basically you haven't shared it and you looked at it for 10 seconds, you're not interested. Or you've seen the price and you're like, oh, I can't afford that. And that's key. So it's basically, it's, it's qualifying the leads, which is extremely important, as you know. 
in terms of you can't have meetings with people who basically haven't got the money or don't want to really engage or don't really understand what you do. And then you have a meeting and like, oh, I can't afford that. I don't really need your service anyway. It's like, well, that's a pointless meeting, isn't it? You know, that just, that's, that's not great for either person. So smart links is on sales navigator team. It's not on pro. And that's why we recommend team, especially for those clients doing social selling, i.e. those once clients, we recommend team. However, we do have clients who are CEOs, presidents, MDs of companies who don't do sales. They've got massive sales teams, but they realize they need to do some personal branding. We have those people on Sales Navigator Pro because they're not doing outbound. They're not doing sales. They don't need to do in-mails. They don't need to have smart links. That's why we recommend both those functionalities. So you can create target lists on Pro. You just basically have less in-mails, um, but you can still tell who's active on LinkedIn, which is also still key. It allows you to filter and segment your audience in detail so you can push out your message to the relevant Correct. audience, to the right people. So Correct. it's more effective in that sense. Correct. Okay, could we talk about some successful examples of people who've used LinkedIn well? I mean, you could comment on politicians, <laughs> celebrities. You could talk about PM Lee's LinkedIn strategy. If, if you could comment about it. I mean, like, yeah, I mean, like, here's a really interesting one. And a lot of politicians are doing it now. I mean, all the ministers are on now, basically promoting the, you know, their wares, promoting what the, the, you know, the PAP are doing, the government are doing, um, and basically gets phenomenal engagement, as you probably know. And the thing about LinkedIn is there's less abuse. So people are, because they, everyone can see who you work for and everyone can see who your boss is. Basically, if you work for DBS and you're about to, you know, abuse PM Lee on LinkedIn, it's not a very career limiting move, isn't it? It's like if you work for Tomasic and you go, oh, this is a very, very good investment at all. And you go, but Tomasic's just invested that company. What do you mean? Basically, so people are really reticent to actually criticize. So they're much more likely to be patriotic, much more likely to be supportive and go from there, apart from obviously at the election itself, and they start going, you know, you know, what are your promises for going forwards? But that's why Pratam Singh needs to be on LinkedIn before the next election, because not many opposition parties are. And currently PAP have a, a virtual monopoly. Yeah, the House Speaker's on it. He's actually my local MP. And the Finance Minister's on for it. You know, all the basically the 3G generation, I think we have to call them now, not the 4G generation, because one of them's dropped out. <laughs> they're all on LinkedIn. You know, they're all promoting what they're actually doing. And then there's lots of other people commenting on what they're doing as well. So generating good content as a result of it. I mean, obviously, you know, politics is a really, really good way of doing it. But however, LinkedIn, politics and LinkedIn don't really match. You know, and I've tested this lots. We've, and basically, we tell our clients not to do political posts. Um, and not to do posts like that. So we let the politicians do that, and then you can comment on that. But don't you go and do that because you're going to polarize half of the uh, people. And it's particularly bad in America. So basically, you know, I told LinkedIn basically to not to give me anything with Trump in it. And mm. luckily they don't. Because the problem is in America, it's so polarized. I can do a post, for example. I did a post, I'll give you an example. A couple of weeks ago, I did a post about masks and about kind of why you shouldn't, you shouldn't wear a mask, having a debate about it. And it's going along quite nicely. Singaporeans, yeah, well, you understand why we need to wear a mask. And Hong Kong people, yeah, we need to wear a mask. And then these Americans started coming in. No, my freedom is not wearing a mask. I need to not gather a mask. I'm quite happy to giving the virus to lots of people because the virus is a myth as well. I'm going, oh my God. But as soon as one American came in, you get hundreds of other Americans coming in. Also, I'm standing for liberty and freedom and Texas and all the rest of it. And you go, okay, it's time to leave the building now. You know, basically, do you know, there's no win situation there. Because if you engage them, you're effectively what they call, I'm sure you know, feeding the trolls. And they're not anonymous. They're, they're normal people, but they're, they're American. They're very passionate about their politics. And they don't differentiate their politics from basically the fact this is business. And someone might look at that and go, but you work for this company. You work for that. I'm, no longer, I'm not going to invest in this company anymore as a result of it. Whereas I find Asians and Europeans much more careful in terms of the politics. And that's the way it should be. LinkedIn is not, to me, it's not politi politics. It's basically politics in terms of the ecosystem. I can have a view on how Singapore is run. 
because I'm Singaporean, so I pay my taxes and so forth and so forth. But basically, you don't want to go stri- straight into basically, you know, why PM Lee is a better leader than Patam Singh or uh, all those kind of things, because that's a no-win situation. Because if half your clients are basically PAP hands and half of them are WP, then basically you're going to annoy half your customer base and they may not come back. You know, so you have to basically be very conscious. We don't do things around religion uh, either because religion is also a no-no on LinkedIn. Basically, you can get lots of trouble through religion, but also a lot of people can get offended very easily. So we stay away from religion. We stay away from anything to do with sex and that kind of industry. And even in Singapore, to do with the drugs industry, obviously, uh, which can be quite hard when Americans are promoting things like marijuana farms and the having you know, cannabis farms and all the rest of it. But you've got to be very careful about where you are. There are other platforms for those. Right. LinkedIn is not. And right. although I also don't agree with the fact that some people use like shock factor or yeah. like something controversial to just to raise their engagement. Yes. If they're not coming from the right place or with good intentions, then there'll be dangerous territory. And they're also called out because people can see they're doing it for that reason. So if, that, if they've got clouds. no substance, then yeah. What's the point of getting views, the wrong kind of views and likes? Is basically it's a negative thing rather than a positive. Okay. Earlier on, you mentioned that in business, it's about relationships. Yeah. And the more hot opens doors, people get to know you yeah. better and then you build a relationship from there. From there, you show them what you have got to yes. offer them. Yes. Right? So, and that was when I wanted to take it in a different direction. Yeah. I want to ask you and hear your thoughts about it. You know, so you, you build your brand around this Mohawk and Black Marketing is yeah. about you and the CEO, the only CEO with Mohawk. So, Recently on our podcast, we were talking about, you know, like, for example, the Joe Rogan show, like, yeah. it's based on the personality, the persona, <laughs> yeah. right? Like, yeah. like, if he leaves, that's it. Yeah. So, where are some companies or some podcasts are built on teams? Yes. Do you have any comment about that? Like, I mean, you know, Joe Rogan's paid $100 million for a reason because people buy into Joe Rogan, you know, and he has credibility because people buy into him. And uh, basically, you know, the strongest brands will be an individual person to me, not a company person. Um, but we basically, it, it, so it's all about their authenticity. And to me, basically, you work for people, you don't work for companies. It goes back to my earlier point about basically, you know, P.S. Gupta does a good job for DBS because he's not anonymous like the previous CEO is. He's out there being very, you know, visual, verbal. He talks about employees. He talks about what they're doing for crypto, what they're doing for uh, fintech, what they're doing left, right, and center. And that is basically means something because the employees can buy into it. The investors can, the clients can, the customers can. And then he leaves some of the other DBS people to talk about products and services and that kind of thing, but also humanize their departments too. So I'm a passionate believer in the CEOs need to be leading from the front. You know, Michael Dell does a very good job at Dell, for example. And his engagement levels for his own personal posts are far greater than Dell's, but Dell has more numbers on their follower page than he does. And that happens quite a lot. If you look at, I mean, you look at people like who work for uh, Microsoft. Microsoft, who own LinkedIn, got 13 million followers on LinkedIn. But some of their posts get zero engagement because they're basically, oh, this is the new surface. We are very nice. This is a zero. This is very nice. People go, oh, I don't care. But when Satya Nadella comes up and goes, hey, you know, we're doing a, visit, a webinar about how to use this or how we're, how we're doing diversity at Microsoft, you suddenly get like a million views of it. You know, Bill Gates gets a million views for most of his posts and videos on LinkedIn because people buy into him. He's an interesting character. Whether you like him or not, he's an interesting guy. Elon Musk, unfortunately, is not on LinkedIn, but you can see basically oh, what he does on Twitter. He's out there. He's always there. Yep. <laughs> With their 300 million followers on bloody Twitter, mm-hmm. how he manipulates stock markets and cryptocurrencies and all the rest of it. And that's the power of doing it. And potentially in the wrong way, one of the reasons why he may not be on LinkedIn is because he may be kicked off as soon as he was on LinkedIn. Same reason why Donald Trump is also not on LinkedIn, interestingly. Because basically he wouldn't survive because LinkedIn's guidelines are very, very strict. Very, very strict. No politics, no political advertising, only social media platform and no political advertising, which is why you need a person on there basically to talk about things. It's why lots of the prime ministers are on there. 
Australian Prime Minister, for example, you know, German Prime Minister, French Prime Minister, British Prime Minister, they're all on there because they basically can't do politic advertising, so you need to get it across in your personality. And obviously, that can go two ways because obviously, if you put something stupid out there, you can get abused by people going and disagree completely. But if you're wise about it and you basically follow a very you know a soft engagement plan and you don't try and antagonize people, it's actually a very useful way of doing it. Thank you, Chris. Thank you for sharing your LinkedIn strategies with us. <laughs> Hey, I hope you've learned something useful today and I truly appreciate that you took time off to better your life with the financial coconuts. Knowledge is that much more powerful and interesting when shared, debated and discussed. Join our community telegram group, follow us on our socials, sign up for our weekly newsletter. Everything is in the description. If you love us and want to help us grow, definitely share the podcast with your friends and on your socials. For more information, check out thefinancialcoconut.com. With that, have a great day ahead, stay tuned next week, and remember, personal finance can be chill, clear, and sustainable for all. I have three personal questions for you. Go for it. Number one, what is one core life principle that you hold closely to? Core life principle? Oh, that's a great one. I think one of the best ones, the the principle that I picked up from my granddad when I was nine years old. And my granddad said to me, uh, because he's very much a mentor of mine, he was an entrepreneur like my uncle was, my father was, so entrepreneurship is very much in my blood. But my granddad said to me, it's not what you know, Chris, it's who you know. And I struggled at school. I was like, failed on my exams, took me three goes to get my maths. I didn't go to a a university. I went to a business school. I basically got out straight away. But I always remember what he said, who you know, who you know, who you know, who you know. And that's where, when I first started my jobs, it was all about connecting, connecting. And this is before LinkedIn existed. So I'd pick up people going, oh, hey, we'll keep in touch, we'll keep in touch. And then, of course, LinkedIn makes it a lot easier. Then you start connecting you know, with people. Oh, I met you, yeah, connect you on LinkedIn. Oh, yeah, I can help you, you can help me, great. And LinkedIn's all about that. It's about who you know, not what you know. Nobody comes to me and goes, so which degree did you get, Chris, in 1990s? Like, no one cares. They care what I'm doing now, what I can do for them, what they can do for me. So a great principle, I believe, is forming relationships. I form, but I like win-win relationships. If I can help somebody, then that's fantastic. If they can help me, that's fantastic. If we can help each other, then even better. And I don't need a sale from you now, but maybe you can help me in six months or 12 months, and maybe I can help you. I can refer business to you. And it's all what I call good business karma, but it all based on the relationships. It's all based on who you know. And that's not based on what you know. It's based on who you know, because you get lots of people out there who've got millions of degrees that have no personality and have no relationship building, have no rapport, do no networking, and then they don't get very far because you need people to grow businesses. You're basically, whether they're clients or investors or employees, you need people. And that comes down to who you know, not who you want. That's on on point and on brand. (laughs) (laughs) Second question for you. What is one piece of financial advice that you think should be shared more often? Uh, That's a great question. That is a best piece of financial advice I would say is don't spend what you don't have. And that's weird coming from an entrepreneur. But for example, I've never spent what I didn't have being an entrepreneur. I created all my businesses based on, I saw my house, I saw my flats. No debts. And no, no debts. I never believed in any get, getting any debt, for example. Um, or I sold my business and reinvested it, for example. Sold my business, reinvested it. Or sold shares, for example, or reinvested it. Never had a co-founder. So basically that for me, I, I never had a co-founder because I basically, I just, that would just wouldn't work out uh, for many, many reasons. Uh, but I don't, believe in basically you know you get all these uh, companies at the moment you know raising hundreds of millions of dollars and making no profit and i don't believe in that maybe an old-fashioned thing when i put it on linkedin people go you know that's not the way the world works anymore you look at basically people like grab and so forth you know worth 40 billion dollars but they lost three billion dollars last year which makes no sense to me whatsoever uh, and to me basically you need to make a profit 
And that's quite an old-fashioned point of view where it's like, I need to pay bills, then I need to make a profit. I don't want to be basically borrowing, 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 because that's how you know you go down basically by doing that. So I don't believe in doing that, but I do believe in reinvesting. I don't believe in you know spending money on flash cars and flash houses and all the rest of it. I believe in reinvesting in my businesses, which has led to some fantastic failures because I reinvested it. thought, this would be a good idea. I'll spend a couple of hundred thousand dollars in that. And then three months later, go, oh, that was a complete disaster. I won't do that again. But you have to try things out as long as it's your money, then basically it's your money. You're not borrowing from somebody else or raising money from somebody else. You're like, you know what? I've got a great idea right here. I want you to pay for that idea right here. I'm not going to spend any of my money because people go, huh? But it's your idea. You've got to put your money where your mouth is. So I've always put my money where my mouth is. It hasn't always been a great success. But I do believe in reinvesting in your own business and backing yourself. And basically, you have to believe in yourself. So another rule I live by is having no self-doubt. Basically, because if you have any self-doubt, you should not be an entrepreneur. You should be an optimist, be an entrepreneur. If you're a pessimist, do not be an entrepreneur. Because you have to look forwards and you can't have a self-doubt. Because if you have self-doubt about your business and your ability to deliver, basically, why should anyone else invest in you? Why should anyone buy your services? Why should anyone do anything at all with you if you don't believe in it 110%? That's what I love about people like Elon Musk and Richard Branson and Michael Dell and Bill Gates. They're optimists. They're basically driving it forwards, going, some of these things won't work, but let's do it anyway. You know, Let's see how it goes. And so you've got to basically really, really back yourself for the entrepreneur with your own money first before you go out there and you know raise capital. Right, this is saying like I would rather be an optimist but wrong than to be a pessimist but yes. right. Yes. <laughs> My last question for you Jeez. is what is one area of your life that you're giving additional focus? Oh god, that's a great question. I mean, I'm divorced three times. So I'm obviously not very good at, uh, at that side of things. But I, it's, to me, so I'm married for fourth time. I, I'm determined to what I call my wife, fourth and final. Uh, so she's tattooed on my arm here to make sure I know she's my fourth and final wife. She takes the mickey out of me all the time by saying, you know, fifth and coming. But no, fourth and final, I say. Because basically, uh, marriage is a bit like businesses to me. I've had four businesses. This is my fifth. I've had four wives. This is my fourth. And you basically, you learn. And it basically, I know you're kind of, we're both smiling at it, but you do learn because you get married when you're 28 years old in my first marriage, you go into it with certain expectations and aspirations. And it's not really how the brochure says a marriage should be. You learn reality. It's not all romantic. And you learn about it and sometimes it doesn't work out. And so then you learn again and then you learn again. But it's the same with business. You know, my first business wasn't my successful, but I learned from it. I sold it and then invested that money into the next one, then sold that and then went to the next one. And you learn, you learn, you learn. I learned and black marketing has been going for nine years now. So it's my most successful business. And basically I've learned from it. So my current marriage is like five years. So basically I'm learning along the way. So I believe in, you know, investing time in both my marriage, but also my business as well, because I think the success of one hits the other. Because if you have a problem in your relationships and your marriage, it affects your business and very much so if there's basically a financial crisis like one of my marriages was going kind of down for example at the same time my business was having trouble uh, in the UK at the same time a great financial crisis was happening wasn't a great mix of perfect storm scenarios to do if you have a strong marriage and if you have a strong business you can survive a great financial crisis but if you don't have a strong marriage it's very much harder to do so you need support you know and it might not having a co-founder but actually my wife effectively is my effectively co-founder you know, she knows nothing life, about what I do. In right? life, precisely. No, she's in life. And her business, she works for Singapore Airlines. She's a stewardess. And she gives me total different stories to perspectives to life that I couldn't possibly understand or kind of, you know, really imagine without her giving me this perspective. And basically, I don't need her to be talking about business because the last thing I want to do when I talk and I go home or take her out for dinner is talk about business. So I think you need a, a, like a co-founder in life. I like that. I'm going to use that. A co-founder in life. 
And that's normally a partner, whether it's a husband or a wife. Um, you need that kind of bedrock to go forward. And that gives you stability and a foundation to form uh, business. And I do believe the best entrepreneurs have stable um, kind of love lives because they basically have a foundation there. They can then look forward in their, their entrepreneurship and they can drive it and be more successful without having to worry about the relationship. And that's really, really key. But I'm working very hard on that. I haven't cracked it yet. I'm not perfect. And basically, that's a daily occurrence, Andrew. But that's a great question. Mm, especially we've been talking about relationships, yeah. but our relationships with our close ones are very totally, important. Totally agree, Andrew. Totally agree. All right. Thank you, Chris. Pleasure. Thank you for sharing. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 